This is Chapter 5, Part 3 of Len Bertain's book, The War on Waste Paradox, read by Len Bertain. Mr. Grimes, in the last section, had agreed that if they improved the business and they made more money, he would share that with the employees and raises and bonuses continuing. As the next illustration shows, it also applies to new product development. Example, Dr. Elby went on, the idea is generated at some initial point and money is allocated to the project. As the money is spent, it follows the curve designated by A. And in the picture you can see a line going down and then sharply moving up at some point as revenue starts to flow in from an idea. Initially you have costs associated with a project and then you start generating revenue and at some point it crosses over a break-even point. So from that point on the product is breaking even but you still have the loss, total loss, up to that point. This of course is a simple graph but it makes the point. If you can get the idea to market quicker, that would be line B, you have actually spent less money because you did not have the an interest investment required to support the longer, longer development time. That was line B. But more importantly, you also created more market enthusiasm and end up with selling curve that is a greater slope, as noted. In other words, when you look, increase the, the enthusiasm in the market, you'll have more aggressive sales. In other words, the faster you implement an idea, the quicker the market will see its effect. This applies to products as well as process improvements. Dr. Elby continued, You people are a major asset to this company, even more important than the company, buildings and machinery. By the way, Mr. Grimes, I'm impressed by the new 26-axis robot that you have in the vat. Mr. Grimes was surprised. He didn't follow Dr. Elby's comment. He didn't have any robot. What was Dr. Elby talking about? Jack, I don't follow you. I don't own a 26-axis robot. Dr. Elby smiled. John, most of us never think of people in this way, but a human being has two arms and two legs. Each arm and each leg can move six different degrees of freedom, forward, backward, sideways, and three rotational degrees of freedom. The head can move up and down and turn sideways for two more degrees of freedom. He looked at Mr. Grimes. He says, now do you see what I mean? And Mr. Grimes smiled and responded, you've got me, Jack. That's a good point. Dr. Elby went on. How do you think that any company would treat a computer that could reason, could be taught to speak a foreign language, and could program other computers? They would certainly treat it with a lot of care. I know, know that some of you are thinking, great, here comes some other jerk that has that feel good about yourself crap. Well, you have every right to think that, but it's up to me to change your mind. And I'm confident that my associates and I can actually do that. There's one important factor that you have to consider. Mr. Grimes is putting his mouth, money behind his mouth. Or better yet, putting his money behind my mouth. That got a good chuckle from most of us. You could see Mr. Grimes shift in his chair. I think he was a little surprised by what Dr. Elby had said. Dr. Elby went on. Let me tell you a little story that might help explain how I got into this business. I started selling high-technology solutions to manufacturers all over the United States. They would hire the company that I worked for to solve problems that their own people couldn't solve. 
that was usually a pretty tough problem or we wouldn't be doing it. I liked that because I got to look at just about every manufacturing process you can imagine. Dr. Elby looked off in the direction of Buck in the back of the room. He then turned to the class, smiled, and said, Have any of you ever wondered how you make toilet paper? Everyone laughed. Dr. Elby continued, No, I really mean it. Do any of you ever think about all the things that you use in your daily life that are made by people just like you? Let me take something else. Do you ever know, any of you know, how paper is made? Do you know how steel is rolled into flat sheets? Do you know how money's made, where they print it? At this point, Buck got into it. You know what this sounds like? I once watched a kid's show, and the host got into these kinds of questions with the kids. He just started asking a bunch of little kids really weird questions like the ones you're asking. Only his were even weirder. He was asking kids like, how do you get toothpaste into the tubes? How do you put the fuzz on tennis balls? Man, were those questions strange, and you know what? He got me thinking. This question has been bugging me for a long time. Maybe you've seen something like this. How do you mass-produce castings like parts for my heart? I know how castings are made, but not that's not what I mean. I'm familiar, not familiar with the way castings are mass-produced. How do they do that with something like a casting? Dr. Helby looked at Buck and asked him his name. He responded, and Dr. Elby continued, That's a good question. I've been in several casting plants, and we did a war on waste project at a casting plant that you might like to see in Los Angeles. And I also have a new film on various casting plants that you might also want to see. I think that I have one on a plant that I toured in China and several different casting plants in the United States. One of the plants is about two miles from here. Anyway, I'm glad you asked me that question, Buck. I could answer it, but I have another idea, Buck. Can we talk after class? I think I'd like to give you a fun homework assignment. However, I want to talk to Mr. Grimes first. Buck joked, are you going to send me to China? <laughs> no, Dr. Elby responded, nothing that exciting. But he continued, there's some really neat things that the host was trying to do with that TV show. I remember it. I also remember watching it with my kids, and I really liked it. I have an idea about what he was doing. I think he was trying to test the kids' imaginations. That's exactly what we want to do in this training. We want to challenge your knowledge when it is wrong. We want to expand on it when it is needed. We have a term for this knowledge. We call it tribal knowledge. It is the collective knowledge that you have that is used to run this business. But it is also the unused skills that you have that are not used. We'll talk about this over the course of the class. We want to test your imaginations, not your knowledge. This is a, there is a company in Wisconsin that takes great pride in getting the workers involved in all aspects of the business. Ralph Steyer, the owner of Johnson, Johnsonville Sausage Company, believes very strongly, and he says, Companies don't care what you know, they care what you do. And that's my position as well. We're going to make you do. We're going to go where no man has gone before, and we're going to look and see if there are better ways to do things than the ways that you do them now. I believe that all of you have some good ideas. What we need to do is to create a system that will allow those ideas to get implemented in a timely fashion. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In one of the projects that I was working on, 
we were having a difficult time getting the equipment to work. After a week of trying to install the new equipment, the plant manager was getting edgy, and I was beginning to get worried that the new equipment was not going to work. It was really a high-tech, very difficult project. As his anxiety level rose, so did the anxiety of all the people who were working on the project. There were mechanical, electrical, and industrial engineering departments all involved, and all of them had to deal with this problem. After struggling with the equipment for several days, I was standing off to one side of the machine trying to figure out how I was going to make this damn thing work. One of the workers on the production line, her name was Mabel, came over to see me. She asked what was going on, so I told her. I explained the problem to her. In about 15 seconds, she made an observation that none of the engineers or I had made. Her idea actually identified and solved the problem no one else could. We implemented her solution, and the equipment worked perfectly. Why is this story significant? If we had asked her earlier, she could have participated in the design process, and we might have all saved a lot of lost time. None of us thought of asking for any help from the line workers. After all, what would they know that all of the engineers didn't? There's another end of this story. Mabel was offering her help, and I listened to her. I could have taken all the credit for the ideas managers have done with me before. When all the engineers compliment complimented me on the good idea, I hesitated for a moment. But then I pointed Mabel out as the source of this great idea and told them it was her idea. He had used her tribal knowledge to provide an insight that none of us had seen. The waste there was that no one thought twice about asking any help from the line workers. With my input, the senior member of the team went over and thanked her. Not only was she good hope, it was probably the first time any manager of the plant had ever thanked her for anything. That taught me that managers and supervisors aren't the only source of good ideas in a company. I want to emphasize that there are no dumb ideas. As Thomas Edison once said, we may have 100 ideas, but only one good one. Not that the other 99 are bad ones. They're simply merely 99 ways not to solve the problem. In this case, we're going to solve problems. We're going to identify the problems, figure out how to determine the financial effect on the company, and learn lots of ways to solve them using your ideas, not mine. My role here is simply to serve as your facilitator. I'll lead you in a discovery process that will use some of these new tools, but the bulk of the ideas in the class will come from your own discussions. It is called discovery because we're going to discover a whole new way of looking at your job and how you use your tribal knowledge. You'll also soon discover that you can contribute to the improvement of the company. We're going to listen to your ideas, and if they make sense, we will implement them. If the idea can save the company a lot of money, we'll put it at the top of our priority list. After a couple of weeks, we'll set up the change review board the Change Review Board will meet weekly to review your idea. We may want to call this the Tribal Knowledge Council because it takes the tribal knowledge and the ideas that you have and integrates them into the program. But that idea and the suggestion of what the title of the group should be is yours.
During the training, we'll agree on a format for this idea committee. It will review ideas, all ideas for productivity improvement or waste elimination. Any questions? Tony was fidgety. I figured he was upset from being in the classroom and not in shop. Dr. Elder continued, Our training program over the next several weeks will look at wastes in the various company operations. We're going to identify wastes in the business, and we're going to figure out how to eliminate them. There's nothing that we're going to do that is beyond any of your capabilities. Either I or one of my associates will facilitate the process of identifying the waste and establishing cost-effective solutions to eliminate the waste. We may offer suggestions that you might not otherwise consider, but in all cases, you will be making all the decisions about how to solve the problems that you have identified. The WOW program simply provides a framework to discuss the solutions. We'll teach you ways, different ways of looking at problems and discuss solutions that everyone in this room can easily understand. WOW is merely a system that we've put together using a number of techniques, some of them my own and some borrowed from other productivity consultants. We've also borrowed from the Japanese, Henry Ford, Tom Peters, Edward Deming, and a lot of other people who had all had good ideas about how to improve production. Tony apparently couldn't hold it any longer and yelled out, this is crap. This is just another one of those motivational programs. All you're really here for is the money. Personally, I think this class is a crock of shit, and you can quote me on it. Everyone in the class turned to look at Tony. Mr. Grimes started to respond, but Dr. L.B. interrupted. Please, Mr. Grimes, he said, I started this discussion. Everyone was looking at Dr. Elby. The tension in the room started to get pretty thick. As Dr. Elby faced Tony, you could see he wasn't bothered by him at all. It seemed like he had been anticipating it. He paused in front of Tony, turned and walked to the board in the front of the room and wrote, No blame. Who could tell me what this means? No one raised a hand. So Dr. Elby continued. No blame means exactly what it said. In the context of this business, of an American business in general, it means moving away from the notion of blaming someone else for your problems at work. Traditionally, management has blamed the workers, and workers have blamed management for a whole range of issues. As Mr. Grimes and Mr. Day will tell you, negotiations of union contracts are often carried out under a cloud of animosity and distress. Labor and management spend more time and energy trying to outfox each other than they do trying to understand how they can help each other be more productive. Then he looked directly in the direction of Mr. Grimes and Mr. Day. They always blame the other side. Unfortunately, when you blame someone else, you take any away any possibility of coming up with a real solution to your problem. This extends all the way down to the shop floor. For example, a foreman might blame a machine operator, saying, Jack screwed up that part. So obviously he doesn't look any further. He's found someone to blame. The reason Jack screwed up that part is not that he's incompetent. It's that the bearing on the lathe he's complained about for the last three years is worn, and the material won't spin true. 
When we stop blaming Jack, we can then begin to look for the real cause of the problem. We come up with real solutions to those real problems. He turned to Tony and asked him his name. Tony, Dr. Elby then said, Tony, thank you for opening up the discussion. You may have a good point there. Does anyone else feel the same as Tony? A few hands went up. First of all, Dr. Elby said, I've got to admit that I don't agree with you. I really think that this training process can turn the planet around. I could stand here all day and tell you the good things that I'm going to do for you, but who would believe me? He stared at Tony and waited for an answer. Would you believe me, Tony? Tony shook his head no. At least we can agree on that point, because I don't expect you to believe anything I say. Judge me only by what you and your co-workers accomplished in the training and the months following it. That's all I ask of you. Is that fair? Tony nodded in agreement. At that moment, Dr. Elby grabbed everyone's attention again when he asked, What's the purpose of this business? He looked right at Tony as if he expected him to answer. One of the other guys named Steve jumped in. To make money, he said with a confident grin. Dr. Elby then looked at Mr. Grimes and asked him if he agreed. Mr. Grimes didn't look very pleased to be dragged into the conversation. Of course, he said, we want to make money. That's the objective in any, any business, isn't it? That's the objective of this business. Dr. Elby clapped his hands once and laughed. Okay, we've got labor and management already agreeing. So the question to do is, what do we do to make money? What is a customer willing to pay for? The class seemed to get a little restless when Dr. Elby posed these questions. People were shifting in their chairs looking at each other and at Dr. Elby. It seemed like these questions opened a whole new can of worms. Dr. Elby went back to the blackboard. In big letters, he wrote the words, Value Added. Value Added, that's what the customer is willing to pay for. The customer is not willing to pay for the controller's salary, all, although the controller is necessary. He's not willing to pay for the inefficiencies of your shipping department. He's only when willing to pay for the added value of the product. The real question we have to ask is what adds value to create a product? Buck was irritated that Dr. Elby had made a negative comment about his department. He jumped up and snapped, look Elby, we do good work in a shipping department. All six foot six inches of Buck was now standing. He went on, I don't like picked upon. He went on, I don't like being picked on. My people do a good job. We do the best we can. We aren't perfect, but who is? I'd like to see anyone else run the shipping dock any better. And he sat himself down. Dr. Elby smiled tentatively. He wasn't intimidated by Buck. Why is there a problem, Buck? Because we get bad information about shipment. We get wrong materials packed in boxes. We get all the screw-ups from the rest of the department thrown in our laps. We do good work but we need help from the other departments we service. We can't do it alone. As long as we do, we're going to look bad. It's always our fault. Buck was getting pretty angry. Dr. Elby looked at Buck and asked him, Would you mind letting me table this discussion for a few days? I'll get back to addressing it, but let me have a few days before you get to your problem. I think there's some other things that may come up, and your problem will look a little differently. Buck nodded glumly and said, I'll wait. 
don't pick on my department anymore. You got that. Dr. Obi laughed. Yes, Buck, I got that. And promise, and I promise to leave your department alone for the next two days. That's the end of part three. Looking forward to see you in part four. Maybe Buck will get his day with Dr. Elby. Who knows?